Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. That's a strong man right there. That's a strong man. Amen. All right, Matthew 13. Still going through the uh, study of Matthew. And again, I just want to thank you guys personally uh, for coming out and just being a part of, of the church. It definitely means a lot to us. Um, my dream is to preach, and I get to uh, I get to fulfill my dreams because you guys come out and, and hear this kind of thing. So I just thank you guys for being a part of this body of Christ. Thank Pastor also for letting me... Uh, Get a chance to wing it as well. I know it's pretty sloppy sometimes, but I definitely appreciate uh, him allowing us to do this. Amen. Well, the the Gospels, again, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. We're on the tail end of Matthew uh, chapter 12, and I do apologize if you cannot see that in in full. I just kind of wanted to have something up there to kind of give a little timeline to what we're studying. So I'll try to move it forward a little bit, but I just wanted something up there so you guys could have somewhat of a visual. And as we think of the Gospels, it's very fun uh, going through this stuff. Um, very interesting books as we bring to light certain things, certain dispensational truth, but it's also uh, fun because of the stories. And I think of, um, you know, if we get to chapter 14 tonight, you'll hear the story of when the disciples were crossing the lake and the storm came. And it was kind of fun because we actually uh, got to experience a little bit of that yesterday as I was with um, a pastor and, and the rest of his family. And, you know, we, we got out in the middle of the lake just like the disciples were. And, and we were stranded when the motor died. And we're in the middle of the lake. You know, it was one of those situations where you look up and you say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Amen. But he saved us. You know, we did have someone come to the rescue, praise God. But it was funny. We had that. And then we had the instance of, you know, the boys tubing for the first time. And it was fun as they did it on their own. I can, I can recall Caleb as he slid off the tube and as he was stranded in the middle of the lake. And I, like the Lord, I said, Caleb, come but he didn't walk on the water towards me, man. We had to come rescue him. So just a fun little time just thinking of the Gospels, you know, and all the, what they must have thought of. You know, it's kind of cool to be put in that little situation there, uh, praise the Lord. But um, so tonight we're going to go through, just try to wrap up uh, chapter 12, and then we'll go into chapter 13 again, um, going through Matthew as Christ is offering the kingdom to Israel. So we're going to pray here really quick. Dear Heavenly Father, just help us tonight to magnify your word. Please give us clarity. Uh, please help us to just honor you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we'll, we'll start reading here in verse 39, Matthew 12, 39. It says, But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was, in, was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And as we think of that, Story We went through the uh, story of Jonah this morning with the kids, and it's interesting how Christ makes that parallel. We talked about Matthew, and just kind of a review. Matthew has three parts to it. You see in chapters 1 through uh, chapter 11, you see the offer of this kingdom that Christ gives to the Jews, specifically the promised kingdom. And then from chapter 11 to chapter 16, you, you see the, the first opposition as we studied the Pharisees, a rejection of Christ as they um, said that he was spreading false doctrine for not obeying the Sabbath lawfully or that he was demon-possessed, that he was casting out demons um, um, by Satan himself. And through that, Christ begins his actual rejection. He puts them off because they're not willing to re receive him specifically as their king. And then uh, finally, in chapter 16 on, you have the rejection of, of the nation of Israel to their Messiah. So we're kind of in that opposition stage. 
when Jesus Christ is drawing back because they will not receive him as their king. And he says, I'm done with the signs. No more signs will be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And I know we, we, we talked briefly, uh, just kind of as a review, of, of where hell is, where this place of paradise was in the Old Testament. You remember how God made promises to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, God says that Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Right? God attributed righteousness for, for Abraham. But we know in Acts chapter 13, the Bible says that there are certain things that a man cannot be justified by according to the law of Moses. So those Old Testament saints were kept in this place of paradise, this place called Abraham's bosom, a place of promise, sort of like a, a soul sleep, if you will. Uh, the Jews that were saved in the Old Testament were kept there, but then the lost people were kept in hell, and both places are in the center of the earth. And Jesus Christ, uh, when he died, he didn't go up, but he went down, right? And according to Revelations chapter 1, he obtained the keys to death and hell, and it's very important that he did that. If you hold your place in Matthew and go to John chapter 5, Go with me to John chapter 5. Hold your place in Matthew. And in John chapter 5, we'll start reading in verse 22. John chapter 5, verse 22. It says this, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Notice that. All that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So it was important that Christ himself descend as a, as a man, descend into the lower parts of hell and obtain the keys and he did not just obtain the keys, but he also obtained the keys to death and hell. And he took those Old Testament saints, right, whose sins had not yet been fully paid for. And he took them to heaven to be with him. If you'll hold your place in Matthew and go to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us a little insight to this in Ephesians chapter 4 in reference to the body of Christ. And go down with me into verse 8. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men now that he ascended what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things right christ fulfilled all things that are in heaven as well as in earth and god has given him a name which is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and every tongue shall confess that jesus christ is lord of the glory of the father Everybody on earth one day will become a convert, but for some people it will just be too late, too late. But every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All the way from George Washington to, to Hitler to Stalin, everybody's going to stand before Christ. But God, Jesus Christ himself specifically, in order to obtain this level of judgment and this level of power, he had to get the keys, right? So that in regards to the resurrection, he could control the doors to let people out or keep people in. He controls the actual judgment 
of all humanity, and he did this through the cross, just like Jonah did. It was, it's very interesting in Jonah, there's a lot of prophetic things. If you go back with me to the book of Jonah, and we'll start reading in, verse, in chapter 1, go back with me to Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse 7. This is when Jonah is in the belly of the fish. He's literally praying from the belly of the fish. All right, I can guarantee you it was not a, a pleasant place to make this prayer. But it says, this is Jonah speaking, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. If you go up to verse number six, he says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. I know we're turning to a lot of different places, but if you'll go back with me to Psalms chapter 16, we'll look really quick at a messianic psalm here. Psalms chapter 16, a psalm of David. Psalms chapter 16 in verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Jonah didn't see corruption. Christ didn't see corruption. You can go back with me to Matthew now, Matthew chapter 12. They both didn't see corruption. And so that was the sign specifically that the Lord Jesus Christ gave unto the Jews once they fully rejected him. The sign of the prophet Jonah it was a sign of judgment. It was a sign that Although the miracles would not convince them and the doctrine would not convince them, they would, it would have to come to the place of the resurrection of Jesus Christ after death that would convince them of their sin. It's a very interesting thing. Now, if you'll see up there, and I don't know if you can, if you can see it, and I hope this thing is on. Is this thing on? So if you were if you were living during the time of Christ, right, and you were, let's say you were 50 years old of age or you were 65 or you were 70 or you had some kind of ailment and you put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ and God at that point would attribute that to righteousness and he would take you into the kingdom, right? They're not saved by God's death, burial, and resurrection like we were because he had not even planned to do that yet. But if, if you were to die during that time, you would still go to Abraham's bosom because of your belief in the person of Jesus Christ. And we know that if you go with me to, we're already in Matthew, go with me to Matthew chapter 25. I just want to highlight this because we're talking about what Christ's uh, death did. Matthew chapter 27, excuse me, Matthew chapter 27. And go with me to verse 50. Matthew 27 and verse 50. It says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. So literally, after, after Jesus' death, it says that many bodies that were in the graves, or those Jews that had died during the kingdom program, having put their faith in Christ, the person of, of his kingship, they actually died and went to Abraham's bosom. But upon Jesus' death, 
right, upon Jesus' death and resurrection, those saints actually came forth out of their graves and walked around the city of Jerusalem, all because of what Christ did in that three-day period. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, we've studied, you know, Revelation pertaining to the millennial kingdom. And we talked about how the Jews that go through that kingdom program, the Jews that confess Christ and do not deny him, right, that are saved because they literally have to endure till the end to face death or to make it all the way until Christ comes back. If those saints die, where do they go? They go to Abraham's bosom again. It's empty right now, but they go back to that place. Well, after Christ comes back and, and when he puts his millennial kingdom in force, it says that there's a first resurrection. And it says that all those martyrs that died during that seven-year tribulation period, that they are resurrected and they rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years, right? And it says, blessed are those who take part in the first resurrection, upon whom the second resurrection hath no power, right? And so in that first resurrection, so when Christ arose again, he brought those Old Testament saints who had died while he was in his earthly ministry as a testimony to the fact that he was the king of the Jews, he was the son of God, and he had that power because all those things were prophesied. Now, towards the after the rapture, and then you have those seven years of tribulation, right? God's going to resurrect those saints who die for keeping the name of Christ from not, de not denying it, right? If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. If they make it to the end and, and, and they die and, and they take part in that first resurrection because they didn't take that mark of the beast, right? They're going to rule with Christ for a thousand years. But there's a second resurrection. And that resurrection comes at the end of the millennial reign where God's not going to just clear out paradise, but he's going to clear out hell itself. You remember how God says that he takes death and hell out and that's when men shall stand before the, the great white throne and God's going to judge humanity, right? All the people in hell, they're going to be brought out for one more time. They're going to stand before Christ. That's the second resurrection. That's the second death. And so all these things are going on with Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And just to give you, you know, there's a huge difference there though, right? There's a reason why those people were kept in that place called Abraham's bosom in the Old Testament because Christ had not yet paid for their sins on Calvary. And so they had to wait to obtain that promise because in order to get into the heavenlies, I have to be washed by the blood of Christ, right? I have to be, I have to be literally blameless to stand before a thrice holy God. And so that could only happen with the washing of Jesus's blood, right? Something that was different, something that the Jews did not specifically foresee there. Now we're back in chapter uh, 12 of Matthew. And if you go with me to verse 41, Matthew 12, 41, Jesus Christ is addressing the generation of Jews that are rejecting him. He says, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. What is he talking about, right? What is he talking about? He's addressing the generation of Jews that reject Christ. Those Jews that rejected Christ, they are in hell to this day. But when they are brought out of hell towards the great white throne, remember that day when, when God says the book shall be opened, right? And he's going to judge the dead out of those books. Those men who rejected Christ are going to argue with Jesus on the throne stating that they deserve to get in. Remember, remember the, the passage in Matthew where, where they say, but in thy name we've done many works and we've done all these things for you, but he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, right? I've never known you. They're going to argue with Christ about how they deserve to get in. And there's going to be the men of Nineveh 
who preached at the rep- or, or repented at Jonah's preaching, they're going to arise in judgment with Jesus and declare judgment specifically on that generation of Jews um, that rejected Christ. The queen of the south who came all the way to see uh, Solomon and hear of his wisdom, she's going to be there at the great white throne. And as they debate with God about why they deserve to get into God's kingdom, she's going to rise in judgment and say, hey, I came across the world to see Solomon. They had the Son of God there, and they still rejected him. They don't deserve to get in here, and they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Right? God is prophesying literal judgment um, on the nation of Israel here. In verse 43, if you go down to verse 43, he says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. Now, is he talking to us? Right? I've heard this preach that if a person gets saved and they go and live in the world, you know, seven spirits will come get him and they're going to be worse than they were before, right? But a spirit cannot, a demonic spirit cannot possess you if you have the Holy Spirit living in you. What is he talking about? He's saying, look, John the Baptist came along and he preached this message of repentance, right? He cleansed the people, prepared a way for the people. And then Christ comes. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Christ gets 12 messengers and he sends them forth to preach the same message. They are literally trying to cleanse Israel, cleanse the Jews to make them ready for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that kingdom of righteousness. But the problem is... If they don't fully accept Jesus, right? If they don't fully accept Jesus, but they adhere to the righteousness, the false righteousness of the Pharisees, that those demonic spirits that were cast out of those people are only going to come back. But the thing with demonic spirits, demonic spirits is they don't come back with one, they come back with more than one, right? You remember the, the, the demonic man at Gadara, he, they called him Legion, right? A Legion, a Roman Legion had 6,000 soldiers in it. There were 6,000 spirits in that man. And God was, Jesus Christ was warning Israel. He goes, look, if you don't allow me to take control of this kingdom, right? If you don't bind the strong man who's Satan, then all these demonic spirits are going to come back and you are going to be in a worse state than you were before, right? Because you think you're okay. You think, you think that you're safe, but you're not. And so this was the position that the Jews were in at this time. Verse 46, he says, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? Now notice that, right? All these, the Catholics, worship Mary to death. They pray to Mary. What did Christ say? He says, Who is my mother? Who is my earthly mother? Those earthly physical ties mean nothing. He says this, he says, and he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. The Jews would boast themselves because they were Abraham's sons. But Jesus says, look, these physical ties mean nothing anymore. He goes, only those who do the will of my father, only those who put their faith and trust in me, the one who God has committed all judgment to, will be part of this kingdom, will be part of this family. Your physical ties literally mean nothing. Now, as we go into chapter 13, chapter 13 is very, very interesting because Jesus Christ starts to speak in parables. Now, if you've been in a Baptist church for long enough, you've heard preaching on parables. And I've preached on parables, right? But let me tell you this, parables, they're not really a good thing. 
there is a reason why Christ was speaking in parables, okay? And a lot of them, they're, they're only given to the nation of Israel, right? Did you ever hear Paul reference a parable? No. Why? Because Paul is using plain speech. Paul's message was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There were no tricks to it. There was nothing hidden in it, right? He declared the mystery um, forth. He made it very clear. But Jesus Christ begins to speak in parables. And if you'll notice, let's keep reading in uh, chapter 13, verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth good fruit, some in hundreds, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now listen to what the disciples say, though, in verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest, speakest thou unto them in parables? Right? His message had changed. It wasn't a good thing. They had rejected their Messiah which required him to speak in a different form. He could no longer use plain messages to them, but he had to speak in a way that revealed truth to those who would accept it and concealed those from the, concealed truth from those who rejected it. Parables are not a good thing, right? Parables are not a good thing. There was a reason he was utilizing this, and the disciples noticed that he was, that he was changing his message because, he, because the parables, he hid truths in the parables that pertained to what would happen in the postponement of the kingdom. You see, in the Old Testament, it prophesied of this messianic kingdom that Jesus Christ would establish, but it never talked about the postponement of it. It never talked about this age of grace that would be stuck in between the time when Jesus Christ would actually set up his kingdom. And so he had to give them nuggets of truth. He had to prepare the disciples in order for them to have the knowledge of what was going to come forth, because there was going to be a huge gap between when Christ was actually going to do this thing, right? They all thought that he was going to do it now. When, when, when he told Peter that he had to go to the cross, Peter was like, no, I'm not going to let you die. You've got to set up your kingdom now. And in the, in the beginning of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, what were they saying? Christ, will thou again restore this time the kingdom of Israel? That's what they wanted so bad, but he had to prepare them because it was going to be delayed, as you can see right now, or else we wouldn't be here in this church building, right? We live in this dispensation of grace. So he began to speak unto them in parables. If you go down to... Go down to verse 11. It says, He answered them and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries. The mysteries of the kingdom. There were mysteries about the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Doesn't that seem contradictory? Doesn't that seem mean of Jesus? That he would say, No, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purposely conceal the future messages specifically from this Jew, these Jews. But the thing was, they wouldn't accept it. And so he had to speak in a way that would hide the truth from them but that would reveal the truth to the, to the disciples. In verse 12, For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. What did he say? He goes, you disciples have accepted these messages, so I'm going to give you more truth. But to those who have rejected my kingdom message, I'm going to take it all from them. They're not going to learn anymore. That's why I'm speaking in regards to parables, Right? In verse 13, he said, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not. In hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. 
And in them is fulfilled the prophet of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. He, hear ye, therefore, the parable of the sower. Right? In order to understand a parable, you have to take something that is known in a known realm and it transfers to something that is unknown in an unknown realm. Right? God was bringing down heavenly truth that had to be preached to these people because they couldn't. Remember what he said to Nicodemus? If you can't understand earthly things, how in the world are you going to understand heavenly things? And so he had to speak in a manner that would reveal this to them. And in verse 19, he said, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, is the word that I preach to you, I pray, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and salvation, not this word of the kingdom. I didn't come to you guys tonight and say, repent for the kingdom is at, is at hand. Why? Because we're still here and we're not in heaven raptured out. But also because people aren't, the, the deaf aren't hearing, the blind aren't seeing, right? The dead aren't being raised up, right? The kingdom's not, not in effect. But he says, the parables are about those who hear the word of the what? The kingdom, right? Not Paul's message, but the kingdom message. And he goes, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receiveth seed by the wayside. This should be not be the parable of the sower, but this should be the parable of the soils. In verse 20, he said, But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Now, why did he have to tell them this? Because the disciples are looking at Christ. They know he's the king, but they're not understanding why the Jews are not accepting this. So he goes, listen, I have to give you a parable. I have to explain to you why some of the Jews are not accepting this message and some of them are, right? The, the, the soil is their heart, right? And different, different, different soils produce different effects on the word that is preached to them. Now, can this be practically applied to our age? Yes, but he's referring to people that are going to go through the tribulation, right? Some of them receive this word and, and they hear the preaching that Jesus Christ is coming back and he's coming to set up forth his kingdom, and they receive it in good ground, and it helps them endure until the end. But some, it falls on stony ground, and as soon as persecution arises, they ditch God and get the mark of the beast. And some of them, the cares of this world, they come up like thorns, and it rips them away from the good seed of, of the word of the kingdom. And because they, they, they're so attached to the things of this world, they won't endure until the end. Because, again, we talked about it last time. When God comes up to actually set up his kingdom... The Jews and the, and the Gentiles of those days who are going to believe that gospel of the kingdom, they're literally going to have to hide and go city to city, go city to city to hide from those who would persecute and kill them, right? And so he's revealing this truth in this form. In verse 24, another parable put he forth unto them. The kingdom of heaven, right? The kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about this kingdom that is to be brought down on earth is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat 
and went and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? John the Baptist is asking this question, right? When he when he baptized Christ, and he knows this is the Messiah, he hears the word from heaven saying, Beloved, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He goes, that's the son of God. That's the one that I've given my life to preach about, his coming to my nation, the Jewish people, right? But when John's in prison, what does he do? I got to send my disciples to Christ and ask him if another guy is supposed to come after him because things ain't working out like it was prophesied, right? John is this guy, right? He's one of the Jews that goes, didn't you sow good seed in the field? But Jesus here is going, look, I'm not the only one sowing seed. There's this guy named Satan out there and he's sowing tares, right? He's doing, he's doing the same kind of sowing at the same time. Verse 28, he said unto them, an enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, wilt thou then that we go and gather them up, right? What do the, the disciples say? Christ, set up your kingdom. Christ, set up your kingdom, right? And Peter, so much that he drew a sword on that, on that soldier that tried to grab Christ and he cut his ear off, right? Set up your kingdom. But what did Jesus say? He said in verse 29, but he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them, right? What is Jesus saying? I'm going to postpone my kingdom. At this time, I'm not going to rip the bad seed and the good seed out. This is the mysteries of the kingdom program. He goes in verse 30, listen to this. Let both grow together until the harvest. Did the harvest happen in Christ's first ministry? No, Christ's first ministry of his kingdom ended with a cross. But when Christ comes back, you better bet your beans, he's going to separate the chaff from the wheat. And he's going to throw out, he's going to burn all the chaff. He's going to take the good wheat and he's going to put it into his barn, which is the millennial kingdom, right? The Jews that believe this kingdom program. He says, I'm going to wait until the harvest, right? So the Jews at this time, Jesus Christ, because of the, the Jews' rejection, he's through parables, not to the body of Christ, but to the nation of Israel. He's revealing truth to them through parables about how he's going to postpone his kingdom. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Where are they going to be bound in? In hell. That's where they're going to be bound, in hell. Verse 31, in another parable, put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven, not the body of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh the tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge and the, and the branches thereof. How many sermons have you heard preached on the faith of the mustard seed, right? And there's good, there's good application, right? We can have faith in God, and he does bless that. But what is he talking about? He goes, listen, guys, my ministry, my little three-year puny ministry may seem like a mustard seed. But when it's planted, this thing is going to grow huge, right? Because if you read Acts chapter 1, what did he tell his disciples? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, right? Preach this gospel of the kingdom. So the mustard seed doesn't relate to our amount of faith necessarily, but he's trying to explain to the disciples through a mystery, hey, guess what? This is going to, my whole ministry is going to seem totally irrelevant. But I can tell you what, it means something, right? It means something. In verse 33, another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leaven. Now in the Bible, leaven is always likened to sin. But here what he's saying is, look, leaven penetrates from the inside. Once you put that leaven, when you're baking bread, it don't stop till it's consumed the whole lump, right? And he goes, 
my, my doctrine, the doctrine of the kingdom, it comes in like a little bit of leaven, but it don't stop until it's accomplished its, its task. So you can still have faith that God has not failed, even though my kingdom ended in a cross, because one day it's actually going to come to fruition. In verse 34, all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares in the field, right? The disciples are like, wait. They're like, Jesus, you got to explain us that one. That one don't make sense, right? They're like, you need to, you need to give us the inside scoop on, on that parable because we're kind of confused. And in verse 37, he goes, He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, Christ. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Who are the children of the kingdom? It's the Jews. I'm not a child of the kingdom. I'm a member of the body of Christ, right? When Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again, he left a little like spiritual, like, you know, this little spiritual that he just left, right? That's us, right? The Old Testament, the Jews didn't even know nothing about that, right? But we're here today, right? We're here today. And has God cast off Israel? No way, right? But we're still here. And God's going to keep us here until the last Gentile gets saved, and then we're out of here. Then it's the time of Jacob's trouble, right? You don't want to be there, right? That's pertaining to the Jews. But he says, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, right? Baptist preachers, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. That's true. We need more people to go out soul winning, but the harvest is the end of the world. Right? It's not right now. It's not right now. He's talking about the end of the world. Because listen to this. He goes, and the reapers are the angels. Do you see angels killing people right now? No, they ain't picking people up and throwing them in hell. But at the end of the world, those angels are going to come down. They're going to bind all those demonic forces until God pronounces judgment upon them at the great white throne. And we're going to be there. Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Know ye not that you shall judge angels? We're going to judge angels one day. Right? We're going to be with Christ. In verse 40, he says, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world, of this world, of this world, because he's going to make a new one. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out his kingdom, all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Right? You know, I know we, it's a terrible thing to, to look at the world, right, in the state that it's in. Because God talks about the world, right? When he deals, when, when he pauses Israel, it goes back to the, the program of when Noah was on there, right? And Noah, and at the time of Noah, they were marrying, remarrying, they were just partying, living in vile sin, right? And it says Noah found grace in the eyes of God, just like we have. We found grace in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ. And God's going to save us by, by the rapture, right? He's going to protect us um, from this wrath, but... I hate the way that this world is, is coming to you, but let me tell you what, Jesus is going to have justice one day. Jesus is going to have justice one day. He's going to open the books, right? All, everybody's going to stand before Christ. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a terrible day, right? And you better be preaching to your, to, to your lost friends and family members because on the other side of Christ at the great white throne, you're going to be there. And you're going to watch your family members and your friends, you're going to watch them stand before God and you're going you're gonna to see God produce and pronounce judgment upon them, right? And you're going to have to look at your family members being cast uh, into, into hell, and it's a terrible thing. We need to, we need to, to preach people, right? We need to preach to people about this kind of stuff, and because this stuff, it, it's just, it's just so terrible. But it's revealed to us through Scripture. 
In verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth it, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said unto them, have ye understood all these things? Man, that's a lot to take in. If I was a Jew, that's a lot. First of all, I don't know that Jesus is going to die. Second of all, I don't know that this kingdom is going to be postponed. I mean, that's a lot to take in. Jesus said, Have you understood all these things? Verse 52, Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed under the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out his treasure, things new and old. Right? There's going to be, there's going to be old aspects of the kingdom that Christ taught that are going to be instituted in his millennial reign. But there's also going to be some new things. Right, new things that were not foreseen that the Jews didn't see coming that are going to be instituted in there. Right, the Jews, just like the world did not know of this thing called grace, the Jews did not know that God was going to put a pause on that kingdom program. Right, and thank God that He did, or else we wouldn't be able to be saved. We'll just finish the rest of this uh, reading right here. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, He departed thence. And when He was coming to His own country, He taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom? And these mighty works, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. They were offended at him. And because of their offense, you know where they went to? They went to hell. Because of their offense. Have you ever been offended for Christ? I have. I, I, I've been just like Peter. I, I, I've, I've denied Christ when I should have confessed him. But let me tell you what. I'm not going to hell, thank God, by his grace. I'm sealed until the day of redemption. Right? I'm preserved blameless. Right? And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. I cannot be pulled out of the body of Christ. Right? And it's very important to note these things. Right? We don't do it in a, in a negative kind of sense. But God says, Study to show thyself approved, right? Word it needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Division is a mathematical kind of thing. And in order to make sure that you're getting the right value, you've got to have the right dividing factor. You know, I was talking to my, uh, my sister the other week, and she's asking me Bible questions, which I love. It's awesome. But she's looking in the gospel. She's going, Tyler, it says, if I don't believe and be baptized, I'm going to be damned. Do I have to get baptized to be saved? Right? She's asking me this question. She goes, she goes blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Right? If I, how do I, if, what do I do to blaspheme the Holy Ghost? Is that really an unforgivable sin? Can I lose my salvation? Right? What about the verses in Hebrews that say, If you sinned after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for your sins. These verses are hard. Right? But, but they all become clear when you're like, That was in that program. This was in this program. Right? you got to rightly divide that thing. So, um, oh yes. I think they lived until death. 
But I think, but I think after their death, I do believe that they went to heaven. But, but their life was a testimony to those Jews that they had truly rejected their Messiah. I mean, that was the literal life, you know? Because you think about Lazarus. Lazarus died, went to Abraham's bosom. God then resurrected him again, but then he had to re-die, right? That's where it's kind of, it, it becomes fun funky. And you have verses that say it's appointed unto man once to die. Well, Lazarus died twice, you know? Um, so it's kind of, it, it is, I'm not 100% sure. I can't preach it as dogma. But I do believe that they, like Lazarus, lived to the end of their life and then died. Um, but here's the deal. Yeah. Right. 